The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start with a poem by one of my favorite poets, Joy Harjo. It's called Once the World Was Perfect. Once the world was perfect, and we were happy in that world. Then we took it for granted. Discontent began a small rumble in the earthly mind. Then doubt pushed through with its spiked head. And once doubt ruptured the web, all manner of demon thoughts jumped through. We destroyed the world we had been given for inspiration, for life. Each stone of jealousy, each stone of fear, greed, envy, and hatred put out the light. No one was without a stone in their hand. There we were, right back where we had started. We were bumping into each other in the dark. And now we had no place to live since we didn't know how to live with each other. Then one of the stumbling ones took pity on another and shared a blanket. A spark of kindness made a light. Everyone worked together. Oh, the light made an opening in the darkness. Everyone worked together to make a ladder. A Wind Clan person climbed out first into the next world, and then the other clans, the children of those clans, their children, and their children, and all the way through time to now into this morning light to you. So, um, yeah, we chant these uh, four immeasurables. Um, the Buddha taught the Brahma-viharas, um, sometimes called the four immeasurables. Sometimes they're called the divine abodes, four abodes of love, four boundless minds, as being naturally occurring qualities of our heart and mind, um, happiness, loving compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And today I wanted to, a question came up for me, because I recite them not just when we chant them in the morning, but throughout the day or walking down the street. If I see something, I just, in my mind, I say, May you know happiness and the root of happiness. May you be free from suffering and the root of suffering, just as a, a prayer in my head as I meet someone. And then I had this question like, um, can all beings know happiness and the root of happiness? Is this even possible? Um, these many cries in the world that we hear now and have always heard, as she points out, 
kind of feeding frenzy we're in. Her, her vision brings us to that. And hearing all these sounds, is that possible that we can all know happiness and the root of happiness? As Buddha said, all beings subsist on food. And the problem is that some beings are food for other beings. I thought that was interesting when I found that kind of fed right in. And yet, every day I repeat that wish. May all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. So loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. These are descriptive qualities that we are made of that we need to tend to and cultivate in ourselves, develop in ourselves, give them space so they can keep maturing. They're there. They just have to keep maturing. We, have to, we know we have to keep nurturing that. Dalai Lama calls these um, immeasurables our spiritual birthright. And why might we call them immeasurable? No limit to how far we can take them. No limit to how much loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy that we can each cultivate. No limit to how far on these ways of being can carry us. Maybe because the number of beings they apply to are immeasurable. They're immeasurables. Because so many, they apply to so many beings, it's immeasurable. Maybe the benefit, to, to the motivation to be of benefit is immeasurable. I mean, you might think of some things on your own why they're immeasurable. The virtues of doing so are immeasurable. The the excellent effects of developing it, developing it and offering it are immeasurable. So, we keep repeating the the wish. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. We may think of of happiness in terms of pleasant sights, smells, tastes, touches, sensations. If we think of it like that, there is never enough. As the Buddha said, even if it rained gold coins, we wouldn't get enough happiness of that kind. Pleasant sights, smells, sounds, tastes, there isn't enough. And why do we repeat it? Well, for one, um, we could use some dharmic chiropractic adjustments. Um, we have to align ourselves with the Dharma, with the what is true, uh, the practice of right understanding. We need to understand right, rightly what's happening, right understanding. And right understanding is also known as right intention, right resolve, which is um, part of the Eightfold Path of the Buddha the path to liberate ourself that Buddha offered. There's suffering, 
there's the cause of suffering is this thirst, this dissatisfaction that we feel with not having something we want or having something and wanting it, get rid of it. And we kind of vacillate in that. And then he said, there's a way, there's a path. And then he said, the Eightfold Path. So this is the second, right understanding is the second. So there's right view, having a right view, right understanding, or to resolve right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And it's not right as opposed to wrong. It's the rightness, not as opposed to wrong. And this uh, right understanding belongs to the uh, wisdom aspect of the path. It has to do with releasing ill will and cultivating goodwill, developing our good, virtuous qualities that we have. So we keep repeating the phrase, perhaps, as part of that motivation we want to turn towards, keep in mind, develop, as we act speak and think, the ways that we create karma, the ways that we, what we make of ourselves through our actions. And as we know from the five remembrances, we are of the nature to get old, we are the nature to grow ill and be sick, we can't take any belongings with us, we are of the nature to die, and the only thing that we have is our how we act, our actions. Kind of interesting. So when we make choices, as a practitioner, we want to make sure that our choices are as harmless as possible. May all beings know happiness. And the Buddha said this is part of being a person of integrity. It begins with the first steps in practice. Um, See what we create, what we make of ourselves, through how we act, which is looking at cause and effect. You see that right in your zazen. You see. And anticipate what the results of our actions are going to be. And then to resolve have right understanding to resolve that we're not going to act on intentions that are harmful. We just, we look at it and we see what we're gonna do, how we're gonna act, where that might lead. And we understand correctly, we don't wanna do anything that will create harm. If we see, foresee any harm or we're not sure, we can always try it out then check to see what the results are. And you will get results sooner or later to it. What does she say? Um, uh, Discontent began a small rumble in the earthly mind. So when we could feel something like that, it makes a little rumble in us, right? We feel Something's not 
going in a funny direction here. We get a little rumble. I like how she says that it, discontent became, began a small rumble in the earthly mind. Yup. We should pay attention to that rumble. And if we see that we are causing harm, have caused harm, then we can stop and understand it and resolve. Make that resolve. Say to ourselves, you know, sweetheart, don't do this again. <laughs> Speak nicely. That's right understanding. Learn from our mistakes. Um, on the recent art practice we did on Friday, I took up um, mistakes, mistakes, in, and how that helps art practice <laughs> when we make a mistake, sort of. I, what happened was I, um, I was, had a cup of cold water and I, I was on a Zoom and I wanted, didn't want to put it directly on the wooden table, so I put it on a painting that I had started. I just put it down on there and it perspired and it left these great circles, which was a great mistake. So then I started filling my glass with water and putting it on a lot of paintings. <laughs> it's much better. Because it was but they were the ones that were creating a rumble in me. It wasn't it was I was discontent with them. Something needed. I was looking at them, watching them, you know, seeing what needed and ah. Some even went completely underwater or sections of them. So it could just disrupt a bit. So this, uh, you know, often in Zen they speak, uh, there's this phrase, life is one continuous mistake. It might have been Suzuki Roshi that said that, which is um, the life of a Zen teacher, really. <laughs> um, but it's this feeling that we learn more from our failures than our successes. That's kind of the feeling in it. So, you know, Dogen says we should really take that you know, absorb that. Those are shiny words. One continuous mistake. Because it really makes it easier to be honest with ourselves and give ourselves some room um, to make them. Um, there was a, there's a book by a writing teacher, Gail Scher. Do you know her? Called One Continuous Mistake. <laughs> um, and in, in her book she writes, one continuous mistake relieves us of false feelings of shame, guilt, and self-hate when we fumble and err. It boldly and clearly informs us that our, the very nature of life itself forces us to fall down and make mistakes, be made a fool, and then to get up again. It's this very process of life itself that diminishes foolish pride that we are often so filled with. So if we're endeavoring in this way to be practicing, noticing, contemplating, sitting, it may dawn on us what originally seemed harmless on a more subtle, sensitive level actually might be causing some harm. We can really um, sit with that, see that. And this is how we grow in practice. There's no other way to learn. And people come in to me and say, I'm still making mistakes. And I go, congratulations. 
And they're a little bit like, whoa, they didn't expect that. Build a cage around a cage. Can anyone live a life without making mistakes? We may idealize, strive to an idea of perfection, and we will keep making mistakes. But how do we see that? How do we see that? How do we understand practicing that? That's what is important. Brenda Uhland, um, she's a 20th century writer, teacher. She wrote a little book in 1938, which I have, If You Want to Write. I actually found it in that thrift store out of the closet on Atlantic. I was like, if you want to write, I was like, I do, <laughs> and I'll get that book. And I talked, and I pulled it down, and I found it so delightful in the first few pages. It was only like a quarter. And she, she had this great counsel in there. So it was about writing, but of course so much more. It wasn't just about writing. And she says, true self is never a fixed thing. True self is always in motion like music a river of life, changing, moving, failing, suffering, learning, shining. That is why you must freely and recklessly make new mistakes. Make new mistakes and not fret about them. Touche, Brenda. But how do we know what the right thing to do is? So what I can share is what the Buddha offered to all of us. And you've probably heard it before. Test things. Test the teachings in your own body and mind. Don't just believe, but it needs to be tested in our very life to see. I got that in beginning instruction. It's like, okay, here's how you sit. I'm telling you, somebody was saying, I'm telling you, like, go to your breath, count. But now it's up to you. Test it. See if it, if what, where I'm with this, if this is helping you. Give it some time, but test it through your own body and mind. That's how we know what the right thing to do is. A bigger issue, I think, is apathy. When we know that some things are clearly unskillful, and yet we still go ahead and do them. Anybody? We know it's unskillful, and we still go ahead and do it. So that's that's good to look at, (laughs) study carefully. There's something we have to watch out for from the very beginning. So the Buddha gives us some guidelines, because we're not reinventing the Dharma wheel every time we act. (laughs) It's there. He tells us, avoid killing. Stealing. And killing is not necessarily um, killing, like taking a life. It could be. But just the way we kill time, experience. So you have to think broadly when you hear these words. Killing, stealing, misusing our sexuality, lying, taking intoxicants, other forms of wrong speech like lying, divisive tail-bearing gossip, blame, where we're trying to break people up, break up friendship because we feel threatened by the friendship, 
hurtful speech, idle chatter, the kind of talk that accomplishes nothing. That's a lot of froth, hot-winded air, you know, like the times we're at a social gathering and we feel we may add, to little, add a little social grease to keep things going. Anybody? <laughs> and we need to remember that too much grease definitely gums up the works. So, something to watch. So, Buddha gives us some guidelines. Basically, the precepts is what he gives us. Moral and ethical guidelines. Guidelines, not rules. Guidelines. Beyond that, it's still a matter of learning how to refine our sensitivity to what is harmful. And this is why we develop more mindfulness, alertness, learn how to concentrate, so that we can develop more discernment. We can see it and discern, choose. We do have a choice. And that we can catch harmful actions on these more and more subtle levels as we go on in practice. So the wish that all beings be happy, part of the reason we're developing that is hopefully because of the motivation we don't want to harm anyone or anybody or anything in our actions. And that's the only thing we can be responsible for, is how we act. And then we can also think about the fact that happiness, in may all beings know happiness, has to come from causes. It's not like we go around with a magic wand, touch beings on the head, and say, okay, whatever you're doing right now, be happy. Be, what is that, Bobby McFerrin? Don't worry, be happy. Boing! That would be nice. Um, uh, there's wands from Kisei outside as we depart. <laughs> so when we really look at ourselves, what's really hard to see is that the activities that are more harmful hurt us more, actually, than what we do. We may not see that at first, but it does in the long run. That's what we're left with when we do that. To recognize right here, deep within, there's something going against respect for ourselves, intention, and this person of integrity. Something going against that for our own being, for our own being. So, you know, there's a phrase, I think, the hurt keep hurting. So we, it, we, have, to, we have to understand that in ourselves. Part of being truly happy, the important part of being truly happy, is to learn how to stop doing unskillful actions. And this, I, a story uh, from the New York Times that I carry, have carried with me for years, that had an influence on me greatly and still does in... Um, this question I've had about forgiveness of, of people that have harmed in my own life 
And um, what is it? Like, what is it? What is that to forgive? How does it happen? I, I had no clue. <laughs> and I needed to some clues. I needed to understand something, which I didn't. And I started to watch videos of horrendous things and people that forgave or stories. That's what I was just like, how do you, how do, you do it? How do you do it? What are you doing? What are you doing? I just, I just couldn't get, understand. I, I, so this, just a warning that this um, has violent imagery. I'm not going to go into detail, but I just wanted to tell you it's not an easy story. But um, I, I won't give you the details, albeit sparingly, because that's not the point. Um, it came out in 2012, right after 9-11. And it's called Hate, Hated and Hater in One Crime. So there was a um, man named, I'll call him Mark, which is his name, a stonecutter, for, uh, 41 years old, from Texas. And um, he started to shoot anybody that had uh, dark skin that he thought was an Arab, because he was so enraged by the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Um, he killed at least two people, and then he got to this third person, Rice Bunyan. Rice was a former Air Force pilot from Bangladesh, and he worked at a, as a clerk at a friend's service station when he came here to America. And this person just came in and shot them directly in the face. That's all the details I will give. And he survived to tell his story. And um, this person was found and scheduled to be executed. He was partly blinded in an eye and spent several months creating a website with a petition with the officials in Texas to try to persuade the state to spare this man's life that shot him. I was just like, whoa. And in an interview, he describes in detail what happened. And he, he says, please don't do this to the person. He was describing it. And he asked, you know, when it was happening, he says, please don't do this. Please don't do this. But he did. He couldn't believe it. He thought he was dreaming, going through a hallucination, feeling the, the um, splintering, you know, just what was going through his body not even knowing actually what happened. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't threaten, threaten him. I couldn't believe someone would just do this. It just wasn't in his mind to even think somebody could act in such a way. And he said he made his way to find help. And he said, I was asking God, asking for forgiveness, saying I would do my best. And he was reciting uh, verses from the Quran. And then he said at, I, he would dedicate his life to the poor. And he felt his eyes were closing and his brain was shutting down. And he prayed and he made it through. He was discharged a day after being treated, told he did not have health insurance. And for the next several months, he slept on people's couches 
and had to rely on physicians' samples for medication. And today he is healed, and he has limited vision. But he was asked, Mr. Stroman admitted trying to kill you. Why are you trying to save his life? So he set up a petition to not have him be executed. He set up a petition that to save this man's life. He said, I was raised very well by my parents and teachers. They raised me with good morals and strong faith. They taught me to put yourself in others' shoes. Even if they hurt you, don't take revenge. Forgive them. Move on. It will bring something good to you and them. My Islamic faith teaches me this too. And after it happened, I was just simply struggling to survive in this country. I decided forgiveness was not enough, that what he did was out of ignorance. I decided to do something to save this person's life, that killing someone in Dallas is not an answer for what happened on September 11th. They asked him if you had a chance to speak to Mr. Str- you had a chance to speak to him. He talked to him on the phone or through the glass. What did you say to him? He said, I requested a meeting with him. Wow. Wow. I talked about love and compassion. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. He's another human being like me. Hate the sin, not the sinner. It's very, it was very important that I met him to tell, them, tell him that, at least by phone. I feel for him, and I strongly believe he should get a second chance. He could educate a lot of people. Thinking about what was going on makes me very emotional. I can't sleep. Then they spoke to him, Mr. Stroman. What do you think of Rice Bunyan's efforts to keep you from being executed? He says, yes, what an inspiring soul for him to come forward after what I've done to him speaks volumes and has really touched my heart and the heart of many others in this world, worldwide, especially since for the last 10 years all we have heard about is how evil the Islamic faith can be. It's proof. No one's that bad or evil. Tell me, what are you thinking now a few weeks before your scheduled execution? Which did happen. He did not get excused. He says, not only do I have my friends and supporters trying to save my life, I have the Islamic community joining in, spearheaded by one very remarkable man named Rice Boyanian who is a survivor of my hate. His deep ins- he's deeply inspiring to me and should be an example for all of us. The hate has to stop. We are all in this world together. My Jesus faith and Texas roots have deepened my understanding as well. It's almost been 10 years since the world stopped turning, and we as a nation will never be able to forget what we felt that day. I surely won't but I can tell you what I'm feeling today. And that's very grateful 
for this person, Rice, efforts to save my life after I tried to end his. A lot of people out there are still hurt and full of hate, and I sit here on Texas death row watching, counting my own death. I have been given the chance to openly express what's inside this Texas mind and heart, and hopefully that good will come of this. We need more forgiveness and understanding and less hate. Then one of the stumbling ones took pity and sh- on another and shared a blanket. A space of kindness made a light. The light made an opening in the darkness. And every time that some feeling like this, I have to say, comes up in me, I think of this person, Rice Bunyan, and this effect in the Karaniya Metta Sutta that we've chanted. Buddha's words on loving kindness, he says, no, may no being despise any being in any state. Not simply may beings be happy. No, there's an action there. May we not act on the causes that would lead to unhappiness. Don't act on despising anyone in any state. Don't act on it. That will hurt you and them. Can we influence people to not act on causes that lead to happiness? There we have it. He did. That was a case. There are people we can influence. We've been influenced. If you look at it, as the Buddha said, when you become generous, it's good to encourage other people to be generous. When you are virtuous and see the rewards of a virtue, try to encourage others to be virtuous, not by telling them. More effective is being and showing. Because there's a resonance we feel from each other. We're tuning forks with each other. So we harmonize in that generosity. We harmonize in that loving kindness. Possibly, there's a possibility that that can happen as it did. It's part of why we're making a choir, (laughs) so we can harmonize, resonate together. We met with Pastor Zach uh, from First Step Around the Corner, asking about uh, how to care for the people that are homeless on our block. And he said, do look at them. Notice, see a person. You can give something. And it rubs off immediately. You get the response. You look, you look, and you get something back. And then we gain more faith and trust in our practice, in the teachings of Buddha. What we saw and taught is putting an end to suffering and rightly understanding how things are. That's what the Buddha taught. We're more able to share what we've got, to encourage people to develop their wisdom and discernment just by how we act. It comes out. Not like, you should. I mean, who wants a proselytizer? (laughs) You know, run for your life. (laughs) But there may be, there are limitations. 
and how we can influence lives, someone's life. There are limitations. We don't know, so we do it. But there could be limitations, right? To influence the behavior of others. I mean, we could sometimes mostly see it in our own family sometimes when somebody's not in good shape. Maybe that's us. And we don't take the influence. When we see beings suffering, we want them to be released from their suffering. That's basically applying goodness. And that turns into compassion. So it all comes back to our motivation and intention. Right? We keep reminding ourselves and repeating it again and again. May all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. May I live in sympathetic joy and rejoice in the happiness of others. May I live in equanimity, free from those poisons of greed, anger, and delusion. And then check in. Are we for real? Are are our actions really in line with that wish? That's what we can do. And just keep making mistakes and changing. Yeah. We could do it all through the day. Plenty of material, isn't there? Yeah. Even though, given that the way the world is, we, with beings feeding on other beings, where some people get a kind of happiness that comes from wealth, status, praise, physical pleasures, the less other people are going to get giving their limited resources. So, I don't know. Is it likely that the world is going to find true happiness? Not going to (laughs) stop. Still want to make sure our motivations are right, because that's what we're responsible for. And that's a gift to ourselves. That's all we can really do. That's all that's all that's asked for to do. As Buddha said, even given the fact that we have passed karma, it's not determined that we're going to have to suffer. The state of mind that we develop in the present moment is going to play a huge role in how we experience the results of past bad karma. So we're not trapped in things we did. We're not trapped. It all depends on how we live that forward. How we underst- what's our understanding? How are we using that mistake that we come by often honestly, out of ignorance? We didn't know. And then create a more limitless state of mind. And in that limitless state, we are able to deal much better with difficulties Whatever things happen, may this be one of the reasons we practice Zazen right here, right now, to develop that ability to not be overcome by pain, to not be overcome by pleasure, great pain, great pleasure, so that the mind can continue being responsible even in the face of great pain and great pleasure. 
and to use any pleasure we receive, any benefit we get, that it goes right through us. Just give it away. Everything, this is going to be in the, the chant that we do in Shanti Deva's way of the Bodhisattva. We'll sing the line, everything I gain, I joyfully surrender. Everything I gain, I joyfully surrender. Like that. So, just to be clear about our motivation, because that's what we're responsible for. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.